This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. 8 p.m. on the East Coast. Slick Rick in the house. Going to do some sports. Rick Delgado's here. Going to do some news. Happy Flag Day, everybody. Yes. Wearing my LFS 6B flag shirt today. Uh, This shirt, by the way, is on sale tonight for Flag Day during the two hours of the show at livefromstudio6b.com. That's the only place that it is for sale tonight. LFS6B flag logo shirt on sale tonight at uh, livefromstudio6b.com only for the two hours that we're on air. Really? I might do that every night. Whatever shirt I wear, that shirt's on sale. Look at you. Livefromstudio6b.com while we're on air for the two hours. What do you think of that? That's not a bad idea. Okay, so when we do What Even Is That, guess what shirt's going to be on sale? Uh, 2 a.m. Hammer Fight Club (laughs) shirt? Exactly right. So, Hammer time. Well, that'll maybe tomorrow. I don't know. What even is that coming up tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I've got it mostly written. Oh. Um, okay. Yeah. You hammer it. Well, uh, he's hammering it out. <laughs> that doesn't sound too promising, but no, we'll it, see. It, it maybe it'll promising. be Friday. It, it is promising. Okay, very good. All right. Uh, right. How are you, Mr. Delgado? I'm go- I, I totally forgot it was Flag Day, and I appreciate the, uh, the flag you've got. That's our pride flag. Uh, we don't need any others. That's the only one you need, right? That's exactly right, by the way. That's what I was going to start on, because uh, we haven't really talked too much about it, this embarrassment at the White House. Yeah. Um, not because of... Because of what you just said, we already have a flag that includes everybody. Right. And it's the red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. And not only that, without that flag, the red, white, and blue, uh, none of the other flags would exist. Your little, your little pride flag or this flag or that flag, none of that exists unless this bad boy right there on his shirt is flying and continues to fly. Once that does not continue to fly, you lose everything. Did just you see, by the mind. way, the... the um did you see the way the fly, they they were uh, flo- uh, flying at yes. the at the at the height they were was an actually violation of some um, of uh, some code? Yes, of course it's a violation. It's it, it's 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 rampant throughout this administration. Did anything happen? Anything happened to that because of that? No, of course not. I don't think ever anyone even brought it up. No, no, nothing. Uh, it's the same thing in Jennifer Granholm. Do we know that? Do we? Are you aware that Jennifer Granholm basically perjured herself in front of Congress? Yes, I've heard of that. Okay, heard of anything, many others. Anything happened because of that? No, of uh, course not. No, yeah, no. I, I actually have a story on that. Uh, she's being. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nothing's happening. You're right. Yeah, uh, Adam Schiff. You know he's been lying for about eight years. Are you aware of that? Uh, yes, and there was a resolution. Adam Holy Schiff. That was. Yeah, that didn't pass because they didn't. Ah, like yes, uh, no, it didn't yeah, pass because Thomas Massey has issues with it or whatever, and um, and the twenty others that didn't. So no, that didn't pass either. The Rains Act, are you aware of that? That came up for a vote today too. That would require 
um, on any new regulations. Uh, I think I think what it says is it would need Congress's approval for any new regulations that came up for a vote today. Are you aware of that? Uh, no. That okay, that's good because that didn't pass either. Oh, okay. So that's kind of where we're at with the Republican-controlled House. That's that's where we start. Just a, uh, an aggravating day on so many levels. That just some of it. Um, Mike Pence is a a huge source of um, aggravation today as he um, is making the rounds. And just, I mean, you know, I think Mike Pence is probably a very nice guy. I've I've discussed my feelings on on January 6th and his role there as the vice president. Uh, He seems a little more convinced than I think others on what his role is with the idea that electors could come to Congress in the way that they came and that he could just sit there and roll over. I, you know, we'll just agree to disagree. But what he did today in the two appearances I heard, uh, one this morning on Squawk Box and the other with Clay and Buck on the Clay and Buck show in the afternoon was a disgrace. Now, Mike Pence, for whatever reason, just got cleared of the classified documents that he illegally held at his house that we discovered. Y'all, do y'all remember that? I, I recall that, yes. And I'm no constitutional attorney or any other kind of attorney or even that smart. But uh, I believe the Espionage Act, which everybody now is in love with, the Democrats, the media, all we're all in Jack Smith, all the prosecutors, the Espionage Act, you know, we're all in love with that now. Uh, I don't believe the Espionage Act talks about how you respond once you are discovered to illegally have classified information moved into your garage. I don't think it talks about how you respond. I don't think it talks about how nice of a guy you are. I don't Mm -hmm. think it talks about how quickly you return it. I don't think it talks about any of that process whatsoever. I think it talks about uh, gross negligence in handling it, which I think having it home in your garage and being a vice president, not having the Presidential Records Act even flying above your head or at least something to lean on, and there's certainly a lot of debates about what that provides protection-wise, but we'll get to another story. Or, or maybe in a closet with an illegal server, but no, I get, I get where you're going with Yeah, this. all of that. Yeah. I don't believe that's any part of the, uh, when I read it. And again, I'm not an attorney. I'm just giving you my, my, my thoughts here. So I listened to Mike Pence go on Squawk Box this morning, and, and, and Joe Kernan, who I like a lot, says, uh, you know, this uh, political thing with Trump, you know, it's just the, the, the two systems of justice. And what's Mike Pence do? Well, Joe, uh, you know, the, the, uh, these are serious charges and this, that. And he, and he goes on to blabber for 10 minutes as if he just didn't have the same problem. <laughs> now, I know he got a pass. I understand he got a pass. And I'm certainly not sitting here calling for, um, for him to be prosecuted or arrested or his house be raided or any of those things that have become commonplace now. But how he sits there and talks about it when he just went through it. So... He's a living example of the two-tiered He got a pass, and this guy didn't. Yeah. And he's got way more seemingly protections to at least argue than you do, just like Biden. And Biden's guy, as Jonathan Turley correctly says, must be on the side of a milk carton by now because nobody can find him. We, he's not met with the, with the president. He hasn't scheduled any, um, as we know, any meetings. He hasn't taken any statements. So he's going to get the full Hillary Clinton treatment, clearly. Come on in. We won't even put you under oath. You'll be here two hours. We'll talk about our kids and whatever, what we're doing, how's golf, and you'll be out of here. That's clearly the road, seemingly, 
that Robert Hur is going down early into this thing because no one knows who he is, where he is. If you went out in the street with a picture of him and asked 10 people, <laughs> all 10 would know who he is. As a matter of fact, I would say if you were at Bedminster last night and you went around to that crowd and asked them, I'll bet the percentage of people who knew who he was on the picture would be close to zero. Close to zero percent. But there's Mike Pence today. Would you pardon? So that so that's this morning on Squawk Box. Yeah, these are serious charges. I can't overlook them. But beep, beep, beep. We got to, you know, the whole, the whole spiel. Sounding like Nikki Haley. And Chris Christie. The human Chinese spy balloon. Um, so then he goes on to uh, Clay and Buck Travis's show. And instead of me trying to tell you, I'll just play it for you. Here's the audio of Mike Pence. Clay Travis rightly asks him, as, as Vivek Ramaswamy has said, I'll pardon President Trump if I was to win and if he was to be convicted on day one. Because what this is doing to the country is not what we're, this is not what we're about. So Mike Pence asked the same question, and good on, good on Clay Travis, by the way. I want to circle back uh, to the first question there, because sure, I don't think you, right. you, you yeah. directly answered it. So let's presume you're fortunate enough to take oath of office January 2025. You become the next president of the United States. Donald yeah. Trump is convicted of what I think you would agree are clearly, to a large degree, political-based charges. He is facing time in prison. Maybe they even put handcuffs on him and walk him into a prison. Would you pardon him from those federal charges? Well, first off, I, uh, these are serious. Okay, he's already said too many words. He's <laughs> yeah. already said too many words. Already. By a factor of 100, because he said two words. Yes, uh, he, he said these are. He said, uh, uh, well, that's already too many. Because the only one you need to say is yes. Yeah, you only need one answer. His charges. And as I said, I can't defend what's been alleged, but the president does deserve to. Well, how does he defend? How, how does he defend himself? Which wasn't alleged. They found the documents there or your staff found the documents. There's no again. I don't believe there's anything that says, well, you know, if you're a nice guy and you're the former uh, governor of Indiana and you're the vice president and, you know, you don't you, you've been loyal to your wife. There's none. Of, none of that is in there. As my understanding of it. But you got a pass because someone decided you get a pass. Well, because but why weren't you gross negligent with, with handling of classified documents? Because he's in the club. He's one of them. You got to give him a pass. To make his defense. And I would say to each one of you, look, I've, I've been a former governor. Um, uh, I've actually granted pardons uh, to people. Um, and I take the pardon authority very seriously. It's an enormously important power of someone in an executive position. And um, uh, I, I just think it's premature to have any conversation about that right now, guys. I really Why would you? But hold on. I mean, let me just ask you that. Because, I, I, look, yeah, I think as a matter right. of principle, I think as a matter of principle, if you believe, as, as both Buck and I do, that Donald Trump is being prosecuted to a large extent for political-based reasons, something that has never happened in the 240-plus-year history of the United States, that we are setting an awful precedent here. And I think it's important to look at this even before the case has taken place. You've read the indictment. You know what the allegations are. They are serious. But to me, what is gained by allowing Donald Trump to be put in prison in the event he he was convicted is... We lose infinitely more by not just taking a principled stand and saying, as a matter of principle, 
this shouldn't happen. I'm not going to allow it. To me, if you're the executive, you are the ultimate decider. With all due respect, when you aren't telling us what your decision would be, I think you're dodging the question and 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 frankly not stepping up on the on the front of leadership, which in the past you've been willing to do. So, I, I, to me, not answering is a no. Well, look, I <laughs> very good for Clay Travis, by the way. The only thing missing would have been him saying, "And by the way, sir, uh, you just went through your own situation. How do you separate what happened to you from?" What President Trump did, just because it's on a grander scale? And we don't even know, by the way, if that's true. Because I saw Greg Kelly make a great point. You know, Greg yeah. Kelly, did you see that? I saw that video. He took a box and said, wow. by the did you see it? <laughs> yes. If you haven't seen it, go on, go find Greg Kelly from last night when he takes a box and he says, and I talked, we talked about this last night, about the number of things they said they found. And then what was actually charged in the document was like 118 documents. Yeah. And when you see some of the video that the FBI pushes out there and the news, the, the, the corrupt news media, uh, of course, that they carry the water for it and they keep showing these pictures, a wall of boxes. Oh, my goodness. Look at all these all, all these classified documents. It's got to be everything in there. Uh, and then, of course, Greg Kelly comes out and shows you because they only claim there was, what, 600 pages of the 130 documents or so. Um, what 600 pages than right. one box looks Look, like looks looks like in you have boxes. to tip it up to see them in right. there it doesn't even come <laughs> it's, it's it's stunningly amazingly hilarious but this is Pence today in his two appearances Mr. Wishy-Washy oh it's very serious but, but, but no mention of his own situation no mention of his own situation at all and the fact that he gets a pass, which, okay, fine, you get a pass. I don't know why. Because what's the standard? There's no clause in the Espionage Act, which everybody's in love with now, and that's what we're citing, that says, oh, if you're a nice guy, and uh, you get a pass. All right, live from Studio 6B, just getting started. New sports coming up. B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're in. Looks like Rick's going to do some sports. Rick Delgado's going to do the news. Uh, I didn't get into the, uh, I just want to get into a little here and then we'll do some sports. But uh, Rich Lowry over at the New York Post, and this was, I was going to start here before we got onto Pence. Get rid of Pride Rainbows. We already have a flag that includes everyone here on Flag Day. He says it's June. When one can be forgiven for thinking we live in the United States of LGBTQIA2S+. Old glory is at best supplemented with and sometimes supplanted by the pride flag in all its varieties. The flag, which has become more and more unsightly, is ubiquitous. It's increasingly elaborate jumble of clashing stripes, whether seen shopping at a ball game or on U.S. government buildings, is a reminder to get with the program, and that program is always changing. Team Biden draped what is known as the Progress Pride flag with no fewer than 11 different colors on the White House between two American flags, giving it, no pun intended, pride of place. 
Flags aren't trifling matters. People rally to them and live and die for them. The firing on the flag at Fort Sumpner at the outset of the Civil War, for instance, had a galvanizing effect on the North. Quote, on forts and ships from church spires and flagstaffs, from colleges, hotels, storefronts, and private balconies, public edifices, everywhere, the old flag was flung out, the historian George Prable writes in a passage that could almost as accurately describe the unavoidable June display of the pride flag. Whereas the power of the Star-Spangled Banner is its extraordinary history is relatively a simple design. It's easily understood symbol, uh, symbolism and it's called to unify of all Americans. Not to mention the sacrifices made to defend that flag. The pride flag is just the opposite. It's always being refashioned. The version displayed on the White House dates all the way back to 2018. It's an aesthetic disaster. It's unscrupable. It's a banner concerned with the recognition of splinter groups. If you wanted to create a visual representation of intersectionality, the latest iterations of the flag would be it. The old quaint rainbow flag had the virtue of being simpler than its subsequent renditions and of representing broad categories of things, life, sunlight, etc., rather than specific groups of people. The flag started as eight stripes and got dropped to six for pragmatic reasons before additional stripes started getting layered in. And as it happens, there are dozens of separate flags out there for every gender identity, pansexual, non-binary, gender fluid, asexual, you name it. How could they be possibly left out? First, the Philadelphia Office of LGBT Affairs added black and brown stripes in 2017 to reorganize people of color. The next year, a designer uh, took the black and brown stripes along with the light blue, pink, and white stripes incorporated from the transgender flag and put them in a a horizontal chevron to make the progress pride flag. Yet another update added a yellow triangle with a uh, purple circle from the intersex flag. The resulting banner has the visual appeal of a TV test pattern, like (laughs) color bars. Yeah. It's hard to see any principle by which other groups should be excluded. By the time it's all said and done, the thing could look like a Sherwin-Williams fan deck if it doesn't already. Like the LBGTQ plus cause, generally, the flag has become increasingly esoteric and obsessed with identity politics. There's always another letter or another stripe. But what better representation of a movement that has gone down every rabbit hole of such bizarre causes as insisting that males compete in women's sports and minors get life-altering gender-affirming care that other advanced countries are turning away from as a horrible, terrible mistake? Yet it flies everywhere as though it was the quasi-national flag with universal popular assent. Even U.S. government buildings here at home and U.S. embassies abroad are flying the flag. If Republicans ever get unified control of government, they should ban this practice. The government shouldn't be promoting boutique causes, and we already have a flag that includes everyone. It doesn't require constant ideological makeover, and it isn't an eyesore. The stars and stripes to be sufficient for this month and every month going forward. Rich Lowry in the New York Post. So, all right, let's do some sports. Sports is brought to you by our friend Mike Lindell and MyPillow, MyPillow.com slash LFS6B. Use our code LFS6B at checkout 
you'll get 10 to 60% off. Great stuff from Mike. And then again, if you do purchase anything from Mike Lindell and you want something off our live from studio6b.com store, just send us your MyPillow receipt. Pick something out. Make sure you tell us size and color. This shirt is on sale tonight uh, while we're on the air for Flag Day. And we'll send it to you absolutely free if you send us your MyPillow receipt showing that you used our code. Slick Rick, what's going on? All right. Well, maybe hump day, but here we are. We still got some rodeo, Big D. We're going to rock it because I missed Monday night. We got the Parker County Sheriff's Posse Frontier Days and PRCA Rodeo. There you go. That's a mouthful. And this is from Weatherford, Texas. All-around cowboy was Billy Good, 34-49 for team roping and steer roping. Bareback, Leighton Berry, 91 points on Pete Carr Pro Rodeos, San Angelo, Sam, steer wrestling, Bridger Angelo. Anderson came in at 3.4 seconds. Team roping, Clint Summers and Jake Long, 4.6 seconds. Saddlebronk, Jacobs Crawley, 90 points on Peacock Pro Rodeos, Miss Texas. Tie down roping, John Douch, 7.5 seconds. Barrel racing, Lonnie Yates, 16.7, tenths. Good score there. And steam roping, uh, steer roping, excuse me. <laughs> steam, steam roping, roping. That yeah. Like Ooh, they're on fire. Uh, <laughs> third round, Cole Patterson, 9.9 <laughs> seconds. Bull riding. All right, Delgado. Flashback to uh, pr- Prince is Prince uh, pilgrimage. <laughs> All right, Delgado. Good to see you pumped up for the show. Here we go. Bull riding. We got Robbie Taylor on Peacock Rodeos. Wicked Sensei and Cody Teal taking a shot at the guns. Yeah, there, little so. jab there. <laughs> Total payout on the rodeo: one fifty-four six five two. Come on, guys. I'm in a groove here. Let's go. And here we go. Last night. Best night ever. Vegas dominates and route to first Stanley Cup. This is Greg Wyshynski of ESPN. Las Vegas, when the Vegas Golden Knights entered the NHL in 2017 as an expansion team, owner Bill Foley said his plan was to win the Stanley Cup in six years. That prophecy was emphatically fulfilled Tuesday night in Las Vegas as the Golden Knights blew out the Florida Panthers 9-3 in Game 5 of the Stanley Cup Final to win their series 4-1 and capture the first championship in franchise history. Uh, Captain Mark Stone authored a hat-trick and center Jack Eichel had three assists in the win. Goaltender Alden Hill outplayed Florida's Sergei Bobrovsky making 32 saves. Forward Jonathan Marchessault was named the Conn Smythe Trophy winner as postseason MVP. Marchessault is one of six players from the Golden Knights inaugural season who went to the Stanley Cup final losing to the Washington Capitals in their first year. And here we are, six years later, that prophecy is fulfilled. The uh, Panthers, who were also seeking their first Stanley Cup title, saw their remarkable playoff run from lowest seeds in the Eastern Conference to the final round and in frustrating defeat. Florida was a key contributor in Game 5. Star forward Matthew Kachuk, who led the Panthers this postseason, he had a fractured sternum, could not play their best player. So that really did not help them trying to make a comeback as they were going to try to come from three games to one down. Uh, the six-goal margin of victory was the largest of the series, surpassing Vegas's 7-2 win in in Game 2, it's also the largest ever in a Stanley Cup final clinching game, topped only by the Pittsburgh Penguins by eight goals in 1991. A few fans raised signs that read, we've been here, uh, we've been waiting six years long for this title. After the game, fully revealed why he felt the Knights would win in six years, back when the expansion team started. I was being told by everyone that we're worthless. Foley said, we're no good. Our team sucks. The players are no good. They're nobody. They're going to lose every game. I got a little irritated. So I said, playoffs in three Cup in six. The Knights made the playoffs in their first season, and they won the Cup in six years. So that's pretty cool when an owner can come out and do that big day. I thought that was pretty cool. Mets and Yankees, no score in heading into the third inning. And uh, that's a wrap in sports, big day. Back to you. One of the great moments in sports is uh, when they finally get a Stanley Cup winner, the, uh, the, the handshake line at the end after these guys have gone to battle for however many games it is, that handshake line is one of the great moments in sports. Class move. Class act. It's one of the things that separates uh, NHL hockey, and it's one of the one of the really great moments in sports is that 
uh, handshake line when you have a Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, it's so, the only sport that commands that. Yeah, congratulations to the Vegas Knights. Yep. Wish I could have been out there to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty right. of people won. <laughs> Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday. More news with Delgado when we get back right after this. Till the hour, live from Studio 6B. Glad you're on. Live from Studio6B.com. Make sure you visit us. The new site is up. It's got all of our merch currently there. And it's also got this flag shirt on sale tonight, which we might start doing. Uh, I don't know. People said I should do a, like a like a mug club thing, like a shirt club of the month. I'm not sure I'm in love with that. But maybe what we'll do is we'll make every shirt that I wear on sale the night of the show, during oh, the show. Just, like tonight, this is on sale right now. That's a good idea. So that, that shirt, you'll sell them that shirt. No, no, not the one I wear. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't want this one, but it's, you can buy one like this, 10% off. Because that would be 10%. a huge discount then. It's like, look, I'll, you know. Yeah, well, it's already a huge 10% off. So oh, you, uh, you can go check it out, live from studio6b.com. <laughs> Shut uh, up. Slick Rick's doing sports. Sports have been brought to you by our friend Mike Lindell. Let's do some news. News is brought to you by our friends over at Early Treatment Meds. Early Treatment Meds, all one word, dot com. If you're looking for high-dose vitamin D, ivermectin, whatever it is, they've got it all. Go check them out. Great people. Dr. Chung, very nice. Uh, all of, They've all been on the show. Great people over there. Go check it out, earlytreatmentmeds.com. Rick Delgado, what's going on in the news? All right. Well, aside from the, uh, the high-level um, indictment of uh, President Trump and the, the burying of the bribery story of uh, Joe Biden and his, and his entire family, there are other things happening in D.C., like the high-level officials that are testifying in Congress. These high-level officials from the CIA, FBI, and NSA are testifying before the Senate Judiciary committee asking Congress to continue allowing their agencies to spy on the communications of American citizens. Yes, they're urging Congress to reauthorize Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, which was never meant to be used on Americans, uh, one of the nation's most hotly contested government surveillance programs. Intelligence agencies have long cited the powerful 2008 FISA provision as an invaluable tool to effectively combat global terrorism, but critics, including an increasing number of lawmakers from both parties say those same agencies have morphed the provision into an unchecked warrantless domestic spying tool and we've seen some of the results of that yeah both things can be true it might just be a very effective tool and guess what You've also used it in a horrific, unspeakable ways against your own people. Yeah. The, the provision is set to expire at the end of the year. Uh, federal agents urge lawmakers to reauthorize the 702 without adding new reforms that could potentially slow down or impair their operators from access to intelligence. The officials danced around the advocates' concerns of civil liberty violations and instead chose to focus on a wide variety and array of purported national security threats they say could become reality without 
about the model piece of legislation. You know, those security threats that come from moms who are uh, showing up at uh, school school functions or people concerned about their kids. You know, those, those types of security threats. Uh, multiple intelligence agents speaking Tuesday invoked the specter of, you guessed it, September 11th, and warned that lawmakers' new safeguards limiting agents' ability to rapidly access and share intelligence on Americans could risk a repeat scenario. I know we've got some uh, some clips from some of the lawmakers who were well, speaking. Yeah, we know we talked about this yesterday. Now, I don't have clips on specifically 702 and, and that, but I do have clips on um, when it specifically relates to Joe Biden and the weaponization of the FBI and the fact that they act as a cover agent for the Democrat Party and for Joe Biden, specifically on this 1023 form that Chuck Grassley has been trying to get to the bottom of and uh, others have Comer and as, as much uh, on this trusted source that the FBI has that says that Joe Biden took a $5 million bribe from possibly Romania or the CCP or maybe both, or who knows set up all these LLCs so they could wash the money through, try to keep it private 10 or 20 of them. And um, now we hear that there may be audio recordings of Joe Biden, two of them at least, that may include him as when he's vice president, and 15 others in, in, of his son. And so the FBI, when they gave the 1023 to Congress, redacted the idea or the fact that there were audio recordings. And Chuck Grassley got to the bottom of it anyways. That's why this coming from Grassley has so much weight, because he's not a... He's not a bomb thrower. He's not a flamethrower. He's not a um, say things and then and, and hope I can go find it. That's, that's not who this guy is. And he's known as such. And I think I texted Delgado when this story broke. I said, this is a big deal coming from right. Grassley because he's not like that. Yeah. Um, so I've got a lot of clips on this yesterday, but the overall arrogance of these people is really stunning as they sit there. Uh, with their pre-programmed answers and try to tell you how they're out for the betterment of you. And that's all, that's their only objective. And they, uh, they follow the rule of law and they follow everything by the book and they, and everything gets treated <laughs> the same. When we get a fact pattern, we just, yeah, whatever, we look at it and see if they uh, uh, you know, an investigation is warranted and they just you know, it's just, that's the part that just makes you, your head stand on end when you watch these guys. But Marsha Blackburn, we'll start with her, Aaron. I think that's cut three. She, she, was very effective, I thought, in this exchange with the FBI deputy director uh, who didn't want to answer any questions and just give his pre-programmed robotic answers here. But she was able to um, deal with the redacted thing here. Roll that. I want to talk about Senator Grassley's information from yesterday because when the FBI produced the document that you referred to earlier uh, relating to the Biden bribery, allegations and you gave that to house oversight you all redacted any reference to the fact that the foreign national who allegedly bribed joe and hunter biden had those 17 audio voice recordings so first of all why did you redact that part of the information senator uh, senator first um as i said before your assertion, or anyone who makes the assertion that the FBI is politicized, I reject it wholeheartedly. It's wrong, and it is not true. The work we do, okay, Mr. Abate, let me ask you this: 
You said in your response to Senator Cruz that you and the FBI do your job to the best of your ability. So why don't you tell me what your job is? Is it to defend and shield Joe Biden or is your job to protect this country and the Constitution of the United States? Which is it? The job of the FBI is to protect the country, keep people safe and uphold the Constitution of our great country. So Period. That's what we work to do every day objectively. There are not two standards of justice. Nope, you there is only off. one. It's applied equally to each and, and every person. Your time, there are two Senator. standards, very clear standards of justice in this country. We see it every single day. The American people see this every single day. They look at you and they see a politicized entity that is weaponizing an agency of the federal government against the American people. That is they, not the FBI that no, I see, Senator. That is not the FBI. You see, there are a lot of good people that work for the FBI, but you have a political cabal there. So why did you decide to conceal the information in that revelation to the House Oversight Committee? Why did you redact all of that re, uh, pertaining to the phone calls? We have exceptional people within the in You're the not FBI, answering the, the question. Best. Why did you redact that information? And they work relentlessly every day to keep this you country safe and to protect people. You chose not to reveal that the Period. calls were there. And Senator Grassley found it out anyway. Is that accurate? With regard to the you chose document. To redact, you chose to redact it, yes or no? We often redact documents to protect so you chose to redact the, the fact that there are 17 voice recordings, two of those with the now president. You chose to redact that and not to give that to House Oversight. I have no idea accurate? if there are voice recordings or not. What I will tell you with respect to the <laughs> no, document, the document was redacted to Old protect faced. the source, as everyone knows. Well, then, and this is a question of life my and death, time potentially. has expired, but uh, I think it would be helpful if when you came before us, if you were willing to answer the questions, it would help to remove the perception that the American people have, because this is what they see. They see you do it every day and that is politicizing the FBI and using it against the American people who don't happen to be named Biden, Clinton, or one of the elites. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Yeah, good for her. She's yeah. very uh, effective. Smart. Yeah. The, the idea that he can say, I don't know if there's audio recordings is so <laughs> preposterous. Think about that. That would be, he's one step away or maybe two steps away from being Chris Ray. He's the... Deputy director right. of the FBI. He's, I mean, he's right there. That's like saying, that'd be like saying, call me when he was, I mean, it's so preposterous. It'd be like Merrick Garland saying, oh, I had no idea that they were going to go into, uh, I didn't, I didn't know Trump was uh, getting indicted. I didn't know they were going into Mar-a-Lago. This is the game that he tries to play. Like we all, we're all hands off. No, I, I have no idea what he's doing. Biden doesn't know what I'm doing. I'm not talking to Biden, and I'm not talking to him. We're, no, we're just all hands off here. Yeah, I, I, just, I just wish you would have circled back a little bit and really 
um, held him to his words because he said, we don't know if there are recordings. That's fine. That wasn't the question. The question was, did you redact this part of the statement that said there were audio recordings? That's all we're asking. We're not asking if you have the recordings, if you've heard them, if you've if you've uh, added cartoon sound effects to it. None of that. We just want to know, did you guys cross this part out so we wouldn't read it? That's the part that she, I was hoping she would have came and really hammered him back because he didn't want to answer that question because he knew that, yes, they had done it because well, they had he seen did it. say they did it. He said we redacted and we often No, he, redact. did, he didn't say. Oh, at he, the end he did. He, he says did. we redact things uh, to protect, blah, blah, blah. He didn't say, yes, we did. That. Yes, he did. He, oh, said he, did. We re- he said at the very end we redacted it for life and death because of the informant. He said that at the very, very end. I'm not sure he was specific. Go, I think he back, was trying to be general. Go back it. to the last 30 seconds, uh, Aaron, if you can pull that up. Go back to the last 30 seconds. Maybe I'm wrong. Wouldn't be the first time. It'd be the first time at least this half the hour. says everyone knows. Well, then and this is a question of no, life. Go back My a little time bit. Potentially. You just missed it. I think go back just the a little bit more. says everyone nope, knows. A little well, bit more. This is a question of life. <laughs> go back 30 seconds. See, go folks, ahead. this is live TV. Go ahead. Play it again. Now, President, you chose to redact that and not to give that to House Oversight. I have no idea accurate? if there are voice recordings or not. What I will tell you with respect to the you document, no... the document was redacted See? to protect the source, as everyone knows. Well, then, and this let... is a question of life My and death. Again, it wasn't specific. There, there were but, other redactions. Uh, I think it would He's be not helpful saying, yes, we redacted we that. That's good. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm splitting hairs, maybe, but... You know, you notice the the, the wordplay that they try and continue to do all the time because they don't want to be they don't want to be on record as saying yes we definitely did that specific thing they try to keep it as broad as possible oh it's to protect sources and methods what sources and methods the guy made a statement he wrote it down there's the, the, what source and method are you protecting what the pen or the piece of paper that he wrote it on. <laughs> Again, I, and I don't think, by the way, I don't think this document is a long document. So when he says we redacted the document, that's what he redacted. Well, was, this, it, I don't think the document's very long. It's 12 pages. Okay, so there you go. That's nothing for them. That's nothing. Right, but it's not something that they can, you know, look, it's not a one sheet where they can memorize it pretty much verbatim and be like, yeah, we know exactly what's going on here, uh, which is why they want their copy. Congress deserves their copy of that statement. And remember, this is an unclassified document. It is not a classified document. <laughs> right. Which makes the redactions even more ridiculous. Which, which even makes the idea of why they redacted it more specific to this, to this Biden situation. Because it's unclassified to start with. So what's so important to have to redact? You redacted the most important part because you knew. That that's the one part you wanted to try to keep away from the 89-year-old senator, and you thought maybe he'll miss it. <laughs> All right, more news, more sports coming up. Slick Rick? Sounds good. Were you dancing to this on, uh, in Minnesota? Sounds like, like the groove. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, live from Studio 6B, 13th of the hour. Uh, I love it when Aaron laughs in my my ears. That's yeah. like almost can't. She's I got a great can't, laugh. I can't not. <laughs> I can't not join her laugh. when she starts laughing in my great ears. Great laugh. <laughs> uh, Thirteenth of the hour, live from Studio Six B. Slick Rick is here going to do some sports, but let's continue with the news and hear what that is. Rick Delgado, brought to you by EarlyTreatmentMeds.com. <laughs> Use our promo code. It sounds like you need some. Yeah, he's okay a hack. <laughs> <laughs> We always knew you were a hack. Yeah, um, political hack. Use our code LFS6B. <laughs> at, least, at least I'm not a sports hack. <laughs> no, you're not. For 50% That's off true. what you put in your cart. Uh, are you okay, Delgado? I'm fine. It's it's the uh, it's the uh, craft services. Uh, the, uh, yeah. the, the craft pe- services are right. <laughs> the peanut M&Ms are a little... Uh, little Shaft little, services yeah. over there. Uh, all right, what's going on? What else is He's going on in the news? <laughs> well, uh, speaking of the, uh, the uh, FISA tool that they want to use, the uh, revelations that the FBI improperly used it has now also started to anger some key Democrat lawmakers in Congress as they mull weather to renew the program. As it turns out, it may have been used to spy on nearly 20,000 Democrat campaign donors, which has prompted outrage from the Democrats. Finally, something that makes the Democrats angry. I think it's thick, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, during the Tuesday hearing, Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman uh, Little Dick Durbin exonerated Exonerated? Whatever. He was pissed at the Bureau. (laughs) That'll do. (laughs) For its improper use of the pivotal surveillance tool, saying since the last reauthorization of 702, many violations of constitutional, statutory, and court-imposed restrictions on 702 have come to light. These searches have affected all manner of Americans, especially our very privileged donors and people listed on police homicide reports, victims, next of kin, and witnesses. Uh, He also also continued saying 133 people were uh, queried during the 2020 Black Lives protest as the Justice Department itself concluded, quote, there was no specific factual basis to think these searches would turn up foreign intelligence, which is, of course, what the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court tool is supposed to be used for. The FBI and the intelligence community as a whole has authority to gather that information to foreign intelligence under the 702, but has been using it more and more on Americans. And again, Little Dick is very upset and not very happy with the uh, the justice, uh, the, the weaponized Justice Department, as they've looked into Democratic donors as well. Mm-hmm. So you got another angle of that story. Here's something. Uh, here's something that'll that'll bake your potatoes. Uh, yeah, see this here. This is this is my favorite drink every night. It's uh, from a store that that's based out of Seattle. Most people think is woke. They probably are. Um, <laughs> no, they definitely doesn't are. matter because they're going to be twenty five million dollars lighter in the pocketbook as a former Starbucks manager has sued and won her twenty five point six million dollar lawsuit after arguing she was fired for being white. Um, yes. I believe that would be considered a grande settlement. A Starbucks regional manager, she got the verdict after (laughs) she accused the corporation of firing her for being white response to national backlash over the arrest of two black men at one of its Philadelphia cafes. A New Jersey federal jury decided in favor of Shannon Phillips, who sued Starbucks over the 2019 allegations of racial bias and discrimination. It took took the eight-member panel 
nearly five hours to award her $25.6 million in punitive damages and uh, damages for Phillips determining, of course, that her skin color played a decisive role in her termination. She worked for the Starbucks for 13 years and oversaw nearly 100 cafes, but she was fired less than a month after Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson were arrested at a Spruce Street store on April 12th, 2018 for refusing to leave a table. So there you have it. The incident was captured on cell phone video, went viral, and of course, Starbucks facing intense scrutiny fired her because she was white. Then I saw a report also in the last couple of days. Maybe it was today. Maybe it was yesterday. That Starbucks was getting a rid getting rid of a lot of their um, yes. pride stuff out of their stores. Did you see that? Yeah, they've they've been taking down a lot of their uh, gay pride paraphernalia and propaganda. They're taking it down. I guess uh, maybe uh, you know going woke is starting to affect their their going broke status. Who knows? Well, I mean, it's it's just a matter of understanding where the country is. You, you, you're catering to such a sli- small sliver. One percent, maybe. If, 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 if that, if that, less than skim milk. So I think they uh, start to realize when you look at uh, Anheuser-Busch, what's going on with them. Target, what's going on with them? Maybe Starbucks is trying to be a little proactive here. Yeah, could be a little too, too little too latte. Who knows? All right, that's all I yes, got for you. Very much could be because they've been on the woke train for a long, long time. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, All right, very good. We'll do some more news. Let's do some sports. Sports is brought to you by our friend Mike Lindell, of course. Use our code LFSXP at checkout. We do appreciate when you use it. Uh, We appreciate it so much that we're willing to send you free merch. If you do use it, send us your receipt. Forward us your receipt that you get from MyPillow, the one that says review your order in the middle of the email. Forward that to us. Pick something out. This flag shirt for Flag Day would be a good one from livefromstudio6b.com. We'll send you... One T-shirt or whatever you pick out, absolutely free for supporting Mike Lindell and using nice. our code. So do that. All emails go to LFS6B at Yahoo.com. It's right there on the screen. And you can go to LiveFromStudio6B.com and pick out whatever you want. And there's exclusives only at LiveFromStudio6B.com that you can't get in any of our other stores. So check it out. Slick Rick, what's going on in sports? All right. Well, first of all, in the Get It Chat, Ultra Maga 65 says they never get a shout-out, and they're hardcore LFS6B. So we're going to give them a shout-out, Big D. Okay, Ultra Maga good. 65 in the uh, Get It Chat. I saw there someone go. in there also say that if Damon sends out his shirt, you could use it as a uh, party tent <laughs> nah. in the backyard. Which yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that wasn't me. It's semi-amusing, so I didn't really mind. So. Or if you're stuck on a raft and you want to catch a nice sail and then uh, what are you hoping for a whale of a sail right. <laughs> all right let's get to the baseball through four oh, wow. God, I hate all of you. the yankees are pitching a no hitter through four in city field yankees and mets no score though top of the fifth and uh, blue jays over the orioles one nothing top eight in a rain delay red sox and yankees uh excuse me red sox red sox and rockies uh no no score there angels and rangers angels up one nothing bottom third the middle of the third pirates over the Cubbies four to one. Reds and Royals tied at one. Bottom third, mid third. Astros two zip over the Nationals. And earlier today, the Braves over the Tigers ten to seven. Brewers fell to the Twins four to two. And the Giants over the Cardinals eight to five. And in the second game, Braves this time over the Tigers six to five. Marlins, Mariners, Phillies, Diamondbacks, Rays, Athletics, Guardians, Padres, White Sox, Dodgers. The older Dodgers. They're all coming up nine forty to ten o'clock. First pitches out west. And, uh, well, here we go. Corinne Jean-Pierre. Dangerous Dijon to say transgender kids can hurt girls in sports. This is Paul Boy of Breitbart. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre called it dangerous.
Pierce to say that transgender can potentially hurt girls in sporting events. John Pierre made her a declaration during a press conference on Tuesday when a reporter asked her what President Joe Biden would say to parents who fear for their daughters competing against transgenders in sports. What does the president say to parents out there who have daughters in high school, for example, who are worried that their daughters may have to compete against a male, a person born male, and there could be a direct physical competition and worry about their daughter's safety, the reporter asked. Look, what you're alluding to is that transgender kids are dangerous. It sounds like that's what you're saying, she responded. After a brief back and forth, Jean-Pierre called the reporter's sentiment dangerous. You're laying out a broad example or explanation of what could potentially happen. That is dangerous. That is a dangerous thing to say. That essentially transgender kids are dangerous, she said. Well, he sounds like uh, Biden last night. She's an idiot. I'm sorry. She's just, it's idiotic the way she responded. She just shut him down and responded in the most idiotic way. He clearly didn't say that. Right. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, anyone with an IQ higher than 10 understands, of course, then she doesn't qualify, but understands what he was saying. Exactly. Yeah, and of course they got on to start, say, say different things like that. Uh, the female hockey player who went to the ER during an old trans tournament hosted by the National Hockey League earlier this year, we reported on. But that wasn't dangerous. The girl was was really severely hurt. Got hit, you know, got hit and get concussion. So, and what about the volleyball player? Right, the girl that got a concussion. Yep. We talked about that. We've had a number of them. So Jean Pierre, she's right on it as always. And that's a wrap in sports, big D. Coming up, we'll do some more sports, more news. Live from Studio 6B on a Wednesday night. Glad you're a part of the show. As always, happy Flag Day. Happy birthday to President Trump. It's official today. We're back right after this. Live from Studio 6B, 9 p.m. on the East Coast. Glad you're in. Slick Rick's doing sports. Rick Delgado's here doing the news. Aaron and Fran holding it down as always. Our friends in the Getter chat are fired up tonight. Good to see everybody in there. Quick hour one. Let's do a little bit in hour two. We've got some more FBI uh, testimony. We want to try to get to that. I've got Cruz. I've got Holly. Why is it, by the way, that when I go to these hearings, they're mm-hmm. the only I only have to cut the same people, <laughs> the only ones who ask any real questions and try to like follow up and don't let these weasels just weasel their way out of everything. I cut the same people every time I watch these hearings. I go, oh, that was good. Let's use that one. It's always Holly or it's Cruz. Yeah. Or it's uh, Marsha Blackburn. Or it's um Chip Roy or it's yeah, Chip, uh, it's always the same people. It's uh, your other guy that you like. What's his name? That guy. I don't know. The, the list is getting shorter by the day. Yeah, no doubt. Oh, what the hell is It's his always name? the same people though. Yeah, I know. I, I get what you're saying. Uh Kennedy? No, we, we yeah, I, we haven't had him in a while. I we haven't had him. him. He he's, he's he of course always delivers. It was the other guy, the southern guy. Who, oh yeah, him. I like him too. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's talk about um this idea that somehow when we talked a little bit about an hour one this uh, I don't talk to him and he doesn't talk to me as if Biden and Garland and Garland and Jack Smith and all of them aren't in some big uh 
you know, grouped together as if they all don't know what they're doing is preposterous. The idea that Joe Biden is not the tip of the spear with this whole Trump indictment is preposterous. Of course he is. Of course he is. I want to take you back to, this was um, January 27th of this year. In the New York Times, no less. As National Archives leans on ex-president, its only weapon is the word please. And I want you to remember this because this is a documents case. Of course, this starts as a documents case, and it starts between the former president in the Presidential Records Act and the National Archives. Where does it get criminalized and how and who's responsible is the question that we all want to know. Of course, we already do know. They're just not going to admit it. And the point of this article was to remind it, well, not at the time it wasn't to remind everybody, but I'm bringing it up to remind you. The National Archives does not have any independent ability to enforce its request that former presidents scour their files for classified documents. The National Archives and Records Administration this week delivered a gentle request to representatives of former presidents. Could you please check again to see if you have any classified documents laying around? <laughs> laying around. Asking nicely is about all they can do. Legal experts said that officials at the archives do not have any independent ability to enforce that request or to require that the country's former leaders conduct searches of the materials they still have in their possession. Enforcement of the laws governing presidential records and classified documents is up to the Justice Department, which has opened investigations into the actions of President Biden and former President Donald Trump. So this idea that Merrick Garland is hands-off and Joe Biden is hands-off and this started somehow at the National Archives and someone over there sent a request to the... is nonsense. Joe Biden is the tip of the spear when it comes to this investigation. He has probably had his hand in every single part of it with Merrick Garland, with Jack Smith. And I was reminded... Well, not reminded, I learned, I think it was Levin last night. Do you know Jack Smith was an assistant attorney in Tennessee in 2017? He was up for a promotion. Guess who came into office in 2017? Hmm, let me guess. Uh, And guess who did not appoint him to the position that he was in line for and put someone else in? Oh, Just a little fact (laughs) that you might want to keep in the back of your mind. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either. But but I guess guess Trump knew what he was doing by not giving him that promotion. Look up uh, Jack Smith's career, and you'll see, I think in 2017, he was in um, Nashville, Tennessee, or someplace in Tennessee, and he was whatever his title was, his next step up. Uh, was to be decided by the president, whoever won off. And guess who it was? And guess who didn't get the promotion? He didn't. So this idea that Jack, that Jack Smith, and Merrick Garland, and Joe Biden have not been hand-in-hand in, hand in all of this 
and pushed for this specific outcome to criminalize what is really a documents case, and then at worst, after that, a civil case that could have been handled in a much different way. And the idea that it wasn't is strictly because Joe Biden is absolutely leading this thing and trying to put his political opposition in jail. So I just wanted to bring that up because I, again, I came across that today. I don't remember where, but it's in the New York Times, the National Archives. They have no mechanism to enforce their requests. So the idea that it didn't go from there to the White House to the Justice Department is just, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. And, it, and, that, and that line has probably continued. So, um, all right, let's, uh, we didn't do a lot of sports slick, Rick, I was rushing you towards the end of the thing there. And then I want to get into the Presidential Records Act and the National Archives and how frustrating it is to just be a um, spectator of this on the sidelines with no significant legal background or, because I said this the other day, you listen to one person who you think, oh, it's pretty smart. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to another person, you think, oh, he's probably pretty smart former federal prosecutor, should know what he was talking about, you would think. You read these articles. So I've got two articles that both came out today. They couldn't be more polar opposite in their, <laughs> in their examining of the law here. So I'll get into that. But let's do a little more sports since we rushed you there at the end of hour one. So, Rick, what else is going on? All right, Big D. Well, U.S. Olympic skier Patrick Gassienica dies at 24 from a motorcycle accident. This is Warner Todd Houston of Breitbart. Patrick Gassienica, who competed for the USA at the 2022 Winter Olympics, die, Winter Olympics died on Monday at the age of 24. That was a typo. Uh, USA Nordic Sport and U.S. Ski and no Snowboards thoughts and condolences are with his family, friends, and the ski jumping community. He said uh, on a statement, according to Fox News, According to a report by USA Today, the skier died from injuries received in a motorcycle crash on Monday night in Bull Valley, Illinois, a town 50 miles northwest of Chicago. The athlete was pronounced dead at McHenry County Hospital that evening. Gassienica is listed as having died from blunt force trauma, but no details about the crash were released. It isn't known if another vehicle was involved or how the crash occurred. Uh, Gassienica, a native of Illinois, is survived by his parents and two sisters. He was represented the U.S. at multiple events, including at the FIS Junior World Ski Championships in 2016 and 2017. So, great skier and uh, uh, ski jumper, I should say. And, uh, well, as a report, MLB quietly tells teams to ditch pride uniforms. Warner Todd Houston of Breitbart. Major League Baseball has quietly told teams that they can stop forcing players to wear uniforms and hats adorned with gay pride rainbow colors during their pride night games. The decision comes as the LA Dodgers are taking major heat for inviting the radical anti-Catholic hate group, the Sisters of Perpetual uh, Indulgence, to its gay pride night game on June 16th. And also several major corporations including Bud Light and Target are facing serious economic losses thanks to their wild-eyed support of the far-left LGBTQ agenda. The Tampa Bay Rays was the first team to announce that players would not wear any rainbow-colored patches or jerseys during the June Pride game this year, but the league kept this change to its Pride celebrations very quiet since giving teams dispensation to dump the Pride colors and special jerseys back in February, according to the Washington Examiner. The Rays had trouble with the Pride night plans uh, last year when several players balked at being forced into wearing rainbow colors. At the time, several players rebelled against the Pride jerseys 
and refused to wear them during last year's Pride game. Not all teams are dumping the forced fealty uh, to the groomer agenda. The L.A. Dodgers and San Francisco Giants, of course, have announced their intentions to continue wearing the Pride jerseys. I mean, San Francisco, what do you expect? Uh, half those guys want to be able to make it home. Uh, there has been one team that has eschewed <laughs> the Pride business from the beginning. The Texas Rangers are the only team that has consistently refused to indulge in any demonstrations of Pride and has never scheduled any Pride night games down in the heart of Texas, Big D. Uh, pro football, uh, pro baseball is not the only sport to see growing pains uh, uh, to having Pride forced on players' games and their sport. A growing number of NHL players and teams are, are turning away from the blatant expressions of the groomer agenda. Teams like, including the Chicago Blackhawks and the Buffalo Sabres, have experienced issues with using prize jerseys. You know, we talked about the Flyers, uh, you know, Provov, of, who also Provov, Ivan Provov from the Flyers, who did decide not to wear the jersey. He kind of started the whole ball rolling with that. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get into I got another story coming up a little bit later as yep. well. Trevor Williams on that big day. So we'll talk about him. All right, very good. We'll That's do some more sports in a little bit. So the um, Washington and uh, the Washington, the Wall Street Journal um, has a piece today by Michael Bekesha entitled Trump's Boxes and the Clinton's Sock Drawer. A president chooses what records to return or keep in the National Archives can't do anything about it. And he says, although the indictment against Donald Trump doesn't cite the Presidential Records Act, the charges are predicated on the law. The indictment came about only because the government thought Mr. Trump took records that didn't belong to him, and the government raided his house to find any such records. This should never have happened. The Presidential Records Act allows the president to decide what records to return and what records to keep at the end of his presidency. And the National Archives and Records Administration can't do anything about it. I know this because I'm the lawyer who lost the Clinton sock drawer case. In 2009, historian Taylor Branch published The Clinton Tapes, Wrestling History with the President. The book is based on recordings of Mr. Branch's 79 meetings with Bill Clinton between January 20th, 1993 and January 20th, 2001. According to Mr. Branch, the audio tapes preserved not only Mr. Clinton's thoughts on issues he faced while president, but also some actual events such as phone conversations. Among them, Mr. Clinton calling several U.S. senators and trying to persuade them to vote against an amendment by Senator John McCain requiring the immediate withdrawal of troops from Somalia. President Clinton's side of a phone call with Representative William Nature, in which the president explained that his reasoning for joining the North American Free Trade Agreement was based on technical forecasts in his presidential briefings. President Clinton's side of a phone conversation with Secretary of State Warren Christopher about a diplomatic impasse over Bosnia. President Clinton seeking advice from Mr. Branch on pending foreign policy decisions such as military involvement in Haiti and a possible easing of the embargo on Cuba. The White House made the audio tapes. I'll finish this when we get back.
All right, 17 past the hour, live from Studio 6B. Back to the Wall Street Journal. The White House made these audio tapes of President Clinton. Nancy Heinrich, the director of Oval Office Operations, set up the meetings between Clinton and Branch and was involved in the logistics of the recordings. Did that make them presidential records? Well, the National Archives and Records Administration was never given the recordings. As Mr. Branch tells it, Mr. Clinton hid them in his sock drawer to keep them away from the public and took them with him when he left office. My organization, Judicial Watch, sent a Freedom of Information Act request to NARA for the audio tapes. The agency responded that the tapes were Mr. Clinton's personal records and therefore not subject to the Presidential Records Act or the Freedom of Information Act. We sued in federal court and asked the judge to declare the audio tapes to be presidential records and, because they weren't currently in NARA's possession, compel the government to go get them from Bill Clinton. In defending NARA, the Justice Department argued that NARA doesn't have, quote, a duty to engage in a never-ending search for potential presidential records that weren't provided to NARA by the president at the end of his term. Nor, the department asserted, does the Presidential Records Act require NARA to appropriate uh, potential presidential records forcibly. The government's position was that Congress had decided that the president and the president alone decides what is a presidential record and what isn't. He may take with him whatever records he chooses at the end of his term. Judge Amy Berman Jackson agreed, quote, since the president is completely entrusted with the management and even the disposal of presidential records during his time in office, it would be difficult for this court to conclude that Congress intended that he would have less authority to do what he pleases with what he considers to be his presidential records. Judge Jackson added, the PRA contains no provision obligating or permitting the archivist to assume control over records that the president categorized and filed separately as personal records. At the conclusion of the president's term, the archivist only assumes responsibility for the presidential records. The PRA does not confer any mandatory or even uh, discretionary authority on the archivist to classify records. Under the statute, this responsibility is left solely to the president. I lost because Judge Jackson concluded the government's hands were tied. Mr. Clinton took the tapes and no one could do anything about it. The same is true with Mr. Trump. Although he didn't keep records in his sock drawer, he gathered newspapers, press clippings, letters, notes, cards, photographs, documents, and other materials in cardboard boxes. Then Mr. Trump, like Mr. Clinton, took those boxes with him when he left office. As of noon on January 20th, 2021, whatever remained at the White House was presidential records. Whatever was taken by Mr. Trump wasn't. That was the position of the Justice Department in 2010 and the ruling by Judge Jackson in 2012. A decade later, the government should never have gone searching for potential presidential records, nor should it have forcibly taken records from Mr. Trump. The government should lose U.S. v. Trump. If the courts decide otherwise, I want the Clinton tapes. 
So there's, so you read that, and that seems pretty clear, right? Mm-hmm. Seems okay. like it. It's been decided by a court. Hasn't been challenged. That's been the uh, <clears throat> that's been established, right? As precedent. Well, these are and these are absolutely things that are going to come up in this trial. This Clinton sock drawer case, as John Solomon said on this show probably two months ago when he was on, when this all started, well, maybe about a month, month and a half ago. I don't, it's, it's been a while he's been talking about this case. When he first mentioned it, I wasn't even that familiar with it. And he said, I think this is the case that you have to look at. This case is going to be, you would think, pivotable. Pivot, pivotal? Pivotal. 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 No, pivotable. That's a made-up word. To, yes, it is. It's a made-up word. But uh, it's, uh, it's my word, and I'll keep it. It's fake English. Yes, it's Biden English. Yeah. Um, you would think this is going to be a huge part of this case, is the Presidential Records Act and the Clinton sock drawer as precedent for Judge Eileen Cannon, who is under vicious attack, by the way, from all sides. And we just have to pray that she has the backbone that she seemingly has to see this through and not give in to the recusal and not give in to the pressure that I'll bet she's feeling uh, from everywhere. Even to the extent that I believe I saw um, Lee Smith reported on a fact that already Jack Smith and his cohorts at the Department of Justice lied on a form they had to fill out. Uh, regarding Judge Cannon, it was some kind of a question that said something about, is, is there anything that you bring forth that, uh, something about the judge, and obviously with Judge Cannon overseeing the Mar-a-Lago raid, the answer on this form should have been yes. Well, they, the answer they put was no, because they were hoping to go judge shopping and end up not with her because she made rulings, by the way, in that seemingly was the only one who had any, any backbone to make some rulings on this raid. So they're really afraid of Judge Cannon, and they're clearly really afraid of a jury in Miami that could be hopefully something close to a jury of your peers. Which is why you hear um, MSNBC contributors screaming about the fact that they need to move this to New Jersey. <laughs> well, of course. Because Trump has Bedminster there, and that's where they need to do this. The New Jersey rule is what you're hearing from Lawrence Tribe and others like that. Andrew Weissman. All the regular hitmen that go on MSNBC. Now, what's the New Jersey rule? Is that something that's, uh, is that somewhere in the Constitution? Is there a New Jersey rule? Well, no, they just make, that's oh. just where they want, you oh, know, that's where they want up. so they can make sure he ends up in a, a cell. Gotcha. So they're making it up. Well, of course. All right. It sounded official when you said the New Jersey rule. Well, that's, yeah, that's what he's, that's what Weissman's calling it, I believe. Somebody already in the chat is talking about pivotable. <laughs> I like the way it sounds when I say yeah. it. It doesn't mean anything. Right. So the other side of this, and this is what's so frustrating for a novice and for someone trying to read and learn as much as possible. I would say you're noviceable. Is I, uh, I open up uh, National Review today and I see the following headline. Where Judicial <laughs> Watch's defense of Trump goes wrong. The Clinton sock drawer lawyer misses the distinction between agency records and presidential records, which leads me back to last night 
and the tweet I talked about from Mark Levin on where the records were created outside of the uh, executive branch that come to the president or records that obviously are crafted within the executive branch. The president deals with obviously many. And Levin's um, note, it's really time, I tweeted this today, it's time to get Levin and Andy McCarthy on the same damn show. And of course, I wish it could be here, but I think they're both married to Fox, so it would have to be on some Fox show because they're both contributors there. But that's really what we need. We need this duked out because Levin basically saying that every one of these people talking about this is an ignoramus. <laughs> and that's a great word, by the way. Because he put out an extensive tweet about this last night that I read you. Saying it does not matter where the records were created. If they come to the president, they fall under the Presidential Records Act. Well, this is exactly, exactly the argument today, the opposite of the Wall Street Journal that Andy McCarthy makes today in National Review. And I read this, and I just want to pull my hair out because it makes, this makes sense as well. So which one? So if, if you're somebody out there just working and you're half paying attention to this and you can only watch Fox or whatever, you have no idea what, what to believe. No idea what to believe. Sound like the blue slick Rick on a Wednesday night. Let me talk to you about our friends over at Birch Gold. President Trump recently issued a warning from his Mar-a-Lago home. He said, quote, our currency is crashing. We'll soon no longer be the world standard, which will be our greatest defeat, frankly, in 200 years. And I was watching the, um, the Treasury Secretary in her testimony the other day just about say the same thing, by the way. She warned against people using the dollar less. The government uh, warned her about China dumping uh, U.S. treasuries all at once to try to hurt us financially. So there's three reasons central banks are dumping the U.S. dollar, inflation, deficit spending, and our insurmountable national debt. The fact is there's one asset that has withstood famine, wars, political and economic upheaval dating back to biblical times, of course, and that's gold. And you can own gold now in a tax-sheltered retirement account with the help of our friends from Birch Gold. That's right. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k, maybe from a previous employer, into an IRA in gold. And the best part is you don't, need to, you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Just text America to 989898 for your free information kit. They'll hold your hand through the whole process. Think about this. When currencies fail, gold remains a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Well, protect your savings now with gold and do it with Birch Gold, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews. Text America to 989898 right now. Get your free information. Get Find out what your options are and talk to our friends over at Birch Gold. Text America to 989898 and do it today. 
All right, 31 past the hour, live from Studio 6B. People writing me about Andy <laughs> McCarthy. Do you know he's a never-Trumper? Yes, I do. <laughs> but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about it. He's not writing an article on his personal feelings. He's writing an article about the law. He's a former federal prosecutor. Yeah, but how, how much of his personal uh, opinions and personal feelings direct what he ends up writing probably a lot of it because uh, of the way he feels about this president and what he wants and what he wants is not to see this president come back so he's going to try and find and write things that would fall into that you know create that that uh narrative that says no this is this is what this means um and it's going to sound convincing, but how much of well, it? Well, when he cites the statues, it's a little hard to say that. Right, but 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 how much of what he he peppers around that is what's getting you to be influenced? Yeah, to no, believe I, a certain I, thing? I just disagree. When he's writing about the law, um. Well, I believe that's a pivotal statement. <laughs> I'm sure you do. By the uh, way, let's well, go ahead. It is a real word. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I was aware of that. It, it is a real. Cal- this ain't calculus, you know. <laughs> you used it. You used the in the wrong uh, context, but it is a real word. Well, I mean, we can't let's not pick on the little things here. Oh. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> let's just get down with the fact that I used the proper. I used a real word. Yeah, and it, didn't make one up like I thought I did. Well, it sounded made up. Well, it did because well, I can't speak. <laughs> because it's usually you say pivotal. Pivotal decision, not a pivotable decision. Yeah, see, it's easier to say pivotal. <laughs> right, right. Pivotal, With, you got you to like cut it short. Well, you, it's easier to say pivotal without saying decision. It's easier to say pivotal decision because that's usually what, how we hear it. Okay. All right. So right. are you saying I'm right in the end? I'm saying you're right. Or I'm an idiot. I'm no, an idiot. you're yes. right. You, you oh. used it wrong, but you're right. It's like, it's like uh, you spelled the wrong word, but you spelled the word wrong correctly. What the hell is he talking about? So, exactly. So, so broke, spo- broke spoke in the get a chat said, Pivotable sounds like a 70s porno. <laughs> I told him I'd lend him my mustache. <laughs> and there's your chat. Okay. All right, very good. All right, let's well, do some go. news. I won't, I won't, I'm not going to dig into the uh, other side of this. Maybe I'll do this uh, tomorrow night. But, I mean, my, my whole point of this being is, you know, as somebody who's – Again, if you're not a constitutional lawyer and you're not a lawyer and you're not a former federal prosecutor, not that they're all of them are right all the time, but you just, you just, and, and you're trying to understand here, you know, because a lot of people find this kind of stuff fascinating as far as, you know, how you're going to argue this stuff. Right. And you have a judge here that's under full attack. I mean, how she's going to interpret a lot of this and this precedent of this Clinton case and just all of it put together. But the Presidential Records Act is really now, obviously now in the spotlight. It's never been in before. And you think about Hillary Clinton's situation, no reasonable prosecutor, all of that. Right. It's like you, you try to want to learn and you just, you just don't know where to... Well, it's, it's just impossible to know where this is going to fall. Well, I, I think that's why in a lot of these types of cases, they're going to rely on precedent. Um, because things have already been established, like the Clinton sock draw. That established precedent. Nothing has been challenged since then. It's been in existence. That that uh, decision has been in existence for more than 10 years, uh, and no one's tried to ta- challenge it. And, and like you, you said when you read the first, uh, the first article by the lawyer who lost the case, 
you know, understanding, saying, look, there's a broad authority from the president. It doesn't matter who created the doc. It doesn't matter if 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 that uh, trinket was made in India, China uh, or Kansas. If the president uh, if the president ends up with it and he claims it is his, that's now his his. Is his trinket. Well, again, that's not what he says. His main point, succinctly as he can state it, he says, is agency records are not presidential records. Trump's case is about agency records that's regarding McCarthy, right? the national defense, mainly classified intelligence reporting generated by U.S. spy agencies. The PRA, by contrast, addresses documents and other records generated by and for the president in carrying out his duties. But again... You're talking about the first part of what you said generated by national defense. What's the president's primary primary job? National defense. So that would that means everything generated, I would think, falls under national defense. And that's that's under his purview. Right. To, to defend the Constitution, uh, uh, abide by the Constitution, defend the American uh, American people from uh, from uh, threats, uh, foreign and domestic. And anything that's used for that, anything that can be used for that, you would think falls under that umbrella. I'm, again, I'm just going by what, what they're saying. They're, they're trying to split hairs, but I think... Well, here he says, significantly, the Presidential Records Act explicitly excludes agency records from the definition of, quote, presidential records. Under Section 2201-2B, the term presidential records does not include any documentary materials that are official records of an agency, end quote. As if the term agency were not clear enough, the Presidential Records Act incorporates the definition set forth in Section 552 of Title V U.S. Code. That definition has been moved in 78 when the PRA was enacted. It was in Section 5. It says any executive department, military department, government corporation, government-controlled corporation, or other establishment in the executive branch of government, including the executive office of the president or any independent regulatory agency. Furthermore, the provision broadly defines an agency record to include any information the agency or its contractors maintain in connection with the agency's operation. Patently, intelligence reports compiled by the Defense Intelligence Agency, CIA, NSA, FBI, and other U.S. national security agencies are agency records. They are not presidential records by definition and by common sense. EI, these agencies are created by Congress. Their operations are authorized by Congress. They are underwritten with taxpayer funds by Congress. And Congress is empowered to conduct oversight of their activities, which necessitates that agency officials and lawmakers have access to their records. It's no surprise the Presidential Records Act excludes agency records from its coverage. Right, but I'm, uh, again, I'm saying if these agency records were developed and delivered to the president, those now become presidential records because they've been delivered to the president, right? Because he's using them. And maybe it's it, here, here's the plan for you know the uh, the first strike uh, wherever and in Dufistan that we were going to do in 2018 and never happened. Blah blah blah. So now it's uh, it's uh, declassified and the president can do what he wants with it. Um, it was developed by somebody in the Defense Department, presumably. That fellow that, you know, runs that outfit over there. Um, but now it's 
it's the president's because they, they had to bring it to him. Now he's got to go through it. Do we, do we go through with it? You know what I'm trying to say? How, how they're generating it here, but it ends up being this guy's because it, it's, he needs it for his job. And, you know, again, we're not, we're not attorneys. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. As a lot of murky stuff, I think we're going to, be, uh, we're going to have to learn about as we go along. And he further makes the point that the, that the Clinton sock drawer case, which, again, I think is a pivotal <laughs> and sets a precedent part of this case <laughs> is certainly not agency records. This is a private recording of a president with his biographer. No agency was involved. So that's that he, he claims that that's why that doesn't hold water. So, again, my only point of all of this being for the lay person, it's impossible to get an idea of where the truth lies. Remember what I sent you last week from the American Bar Association, that the extent of a president's legal authority to unilaterally declassify anything without following a formal procedure set forth by Congress previously has yet to been challenged in court. There is no precedent for how they're going to handle it. This is the, what you're arguing about right now is exactly what they're going to be arguing about in the courtroom. Yeah. Yeah, because there is no, there is no process. The president can just declare it or think it or do whatever. There is a process, there's a process, though, for everybody else. They have to go through a process. So it'll be interesting. All right, let's do a little it should we, be fun. We haven't done a lot of news tonight. Let's do some more news here with a couple minutes we have left, and then we'll do some more when we get back. What else is going on, Rick Delgado? All right. Well, this story coming out of Indiana. Um, customers seem to have a love-hate relationship with Julia. Julia, who Julia works. Julia Roberts? No, no, not that, oh. not that Julia. This Julia, though, will probably be very, be very famous soon as well. Julia, who works for the drive through at the White Castle in Maryville, Indiana, in as many ways as a model employee, polite, prompt, and doesn't mind working overnight hours. Uh, still, something seemed off to John Lewis, a retired carpenter from nearby Lowell. For one thing, he had to repeat his order for onion rings. For another, Julia wasn't human. Julia is among the freshman class of artificial intelligence-enabled chatbots being put to work in fast food drive throughs Restaurant executives say Julia, as a White Castle system is called, and its chatbot colleagues can make their restaurants more efficient and free up often scarce workers to do other jobs, like collect unemployment. Uh, the jury is still out with customers, though. It's a pain in the butt, said Lewis, after collecting his order. It had been predicted that AI will revolutionize computer programming, enable widespread cheating among college students, and possibly even destroy the human race. But for now, AI chatbots are still learning the art of taking orders for burgers and fries. Across 10 orders at the Indiana White Castle on a recent day, three customers asked to talk to a human attendant after conversing with Julia, either because they preferred human interaction or because Julia kept mishearing their orders. One woman, peeved by her jalapeno slider order, hadn't come out correctly. Others shouted repeatedly that they accepted the terms and conditions of ordering through a, through a robot, though they otherwise ordered without incident. So there like you have it. Besides White Castle, McDonald's, Wendy's, and Dunkin' Donuts are also testing AI-driven chatbots in their drive throughs So get ready for people freaking the F out and attacking oh, their drive through menus. Yeah, Spot gonna, in the box. We're all going to yeah. die. Told ya. At McDonald's drive through <laughs> Hi, live from Studio 6B. We'll wrap it up. A little more news and sports. When we get back right after this.
horns there. I like the horns in this song. Fran, good choice again. I know it's the same one every night, but I still like it. <laughs> I was going to say, this, this sounds really familiar. Uh, I don't know I anything week. that stands out about it. <laughs> well, now, tomorrow night, Fran, just change it up. Just to stick it to Delgado yeah, because he's such a you-know-what. Um, all right, live from Studio 6B, 13 till the hour. Let's do some sports and some news. What's that look for? I was just wondering what you were saying about Mr. Delgado. Yeah, here. what are you going to say? Our esteemed colleague. Well, you're the one who was taking shots at him about the guns before. So what, now what? Now what? No, I'm just checking oh, okay. on. Checking in. That's all. All right, what's well, time to do sports, but let's do some in, news huh? instead. No, let's do sports and hear what sports is. Slick Rick Sports is brought to you by Mike Lindell and MyPillow. Use our code LFS6B at checkout. Uh, probably too late to get anything for Father's Day at this point, but 4th of July or whatever else you got coming up, birthdays and stuff, great stuff from Lindell, MyPillow.com. Slick Rick, what's going on? Well, you know, I want to shout out President Trump. Happy birthday. Also, my Uncle Gary turned 77 today. Same birthday wow. as uh, Trump. He drove the getaway car when my mom was in labor, actually. So he's one of the reasons I'm here, Uncle Gary. Got me here to safe in the hospital. <laughs> I love Uncle Gary. So happy Birthday, same day as Donald Trump. I always thought that was a cool little thing. Because um, And also, I want to uh, shout out to a, a Marine staff sergeant that I ran into in the airport yesterday waiting for my connecting flight. And uh, he shared some information with me, too. So I'm not going to give out his full name, rank, and file. But he's been a Marine staff sergeant for well over a decade. Fine young man. And I asked him, how does our military feel you know, about the current you know, administration? And he just shook his head. And he said, 90% of them don't feel any confidence. And you know what he said that scared me the most? They don't have what they need to do the job in the event there is a situation. Well, and that got me very concerned. This is what Gordon Chang's talking about. Oof. This is what they're talking about. China's on the move everywhere. They mm-hmm. now, we now find out they have a, a, a spy listening um, uh, station in Cuba. Then we yep. know they, they've got these um, underwater bases for their, for their na- Navy. They've got more ships than us. They've got supersonics, that, uh, hypersonics that are way yep. ahead of us. They're on the move. They've got these fake islands in the. They, they control both ends of the uh, Panama Canal. You know yep. they're. Um, so our military, from a seasoned veteran, there is telling me they're very nervous about what's going on. They don't, and they don't have what they need. And that's just what President Trump. What do they always say? I make sure they have what they need, and that's what we. You know, I mean, with our military, we're toast, and we all know that. Well, we're just not prepared either. We're not preparing nope. for a China that's on the move to, nope. to the degree they are. Yeah, but you know what we are doing, Damon, is that we're making sure that the Ukrainians have all of our stuff. Right, we make sure they have what so, they need. Yeah, and that the Taliban has what they need, because that's all that's important, Yeah, according to this administration. All right. But anyhow. Let me shift gears. Let's yeah. go to the NHRA Thunder <laughs> Valley Nationals over the weekend. Again, I'm a little behind because I think was obviously wasn't here Monday. But I want to talk about that. That was at the uh, Bristol, Tennessee, Bristol Dragway, Big D. Just a couple of the winners there. Justin Ashley picked up the top fuel. Ron Capps, funny car. Erica Enders, Pro Stock. Steve Johnson, Pro Stock Motorcycle. Chris Thorne, Pro Mod. And, of course, Super Stock, Monty Bogan. Jeff Strickland was the stock eliminator. And Jeremy Mason picking up the Super Comp winners. So we love our NHRA dragsters. I know a lot of the fellas and folks in the chats love the uh, love the NHRA as Did well. Did you talk about uh, Enders? What's her name? Erica Enders. Yeah, I think she was she the one won. that she- yeah, she won. Yeah, she won. Yeah. 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 I think she watches the show, if I'm not mistaken. Wasn't she the lady that shouted us out? I believe it was Or Erica someone Enders. told us that maybe she does or something yeah. like no, that. I, I'm pretty sure she. they told her that she did. That she told them did that she watched the show. Did you see the, the video show. of the race she won? No, I did not. Holy Moses, man. 
Yeah. She's you rock star. You think your Tesla's fast <laughs> off the line. <laughs> <laughs> she's not playing. She's got, a, she's got a lead foot, Big D. Ooh. All right. An NFL player lost $8 million in 2022 from Sports Gambling Report. Five NFL players were suspended this year for violating the NFL's ga- gambling policy. This is Paulina Dadage of Fox News. Amid what appears to be a spike in NFL players violating the league's gambling policy, one player reportedly lost $8 million from betting on sports in 2022, according to one report. Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio reported Wednesday that one NFL player lost $8 million gambling last year, citing a league source. The report did not specify if the wages placed violated the league's policy or if the player was one of the five already suspended this offseason for violations. Five players, including four from the Detroit Lions, were suspended in April for breaches of the league's gambling policy. Wide receiver uh, Quintez Cephas and safety C.J. Moore were suspended indefinitely for allegedly betting on NFL games. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on with gambling and uh, not a good scene, Big D. Not a good look. Uh, so that's a wrap in sports. So we can get the rest of the time to do what you got to do here. Well, $8 million, I mean, for some yeah, of these guys, that could be a couple bets. That's tip money. For yeah. uh, Floyd, that's like one night. Oh, Floyd? Like, yeah, well, like, well, yeah, that's boxing. Different that's story. like one... Uh... Yeah. One good bet on something. And Floyd's got his own problems after that boxing match over the weekend. Oh, God. oh my goodness. Oh, I, 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 I had that story. I thought it was a little stale. Oh, my goodness. But, yeah. Oh, man. That thing's gotten ugly, too. Did you see yeah. the, oh, the, the, the gotti the yeah. girl there? She tweeted out about they're yeah. coming for the daughter. That's Ooh. not good. Oh, boy. That's how you set up a rematch. Yeah. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, Slick Rick. Sports is brought to you by Mike Lindell. Let's do a little more news. Delgado, what's going on? All right. Well, uh, this story uh, I wanted to make sure we got to. Former Marine indicted in New York after the chokehold death. Ugh. Uh, we all know the story. New York Grand Jury Wednesday indicted former Marine Daniel Penny in connection with the May death of a homeless man, Jordan Neely, on a New York subway. The exact charges will not be unsealed until a uh, later court date, according to Reuters, though Penny was already charged with second-degree manslaughter charge at his May 12th arraignment. This story coming from John Solomon's Just the News. He did not enter a plea at the time. Sources told the New York Post that the charges include second-degree manslaughter and criminally negligent homicide. Video footage shows Penny restraining Neely on the Metro with a, with a uh, restraint with a, while at least two passengers aid in helping in the effort. The former Marine secured release on a $100,000 bond and is due back in court on July 17th. Neely died at the hospital after falling unconscious during the incident and the medic, medical examiner ruled the death a homicide. So we'll see what happens with that. Of course, um, We've heard witness statements that have corroborated Penny's account that this was uh, basically self-defense. And he said he believes in his heart that he will be saved and that he saved a lot of people that day that could have gotten hurt, according to one witness. So and you're going to need all those witnesses to show up, too. Yeah. And you just, I mean, just get out of New York City if you're in there. My God, what a Ugh. disaster. Yeah. And keep in mind, it took 11, 11 days for the DA to bring charges, and they only did so after there were riots. Uh, complaining about it. So, you know, talk about the mob mentality. Uh, Speaking about another type of mentality, uh, let's jump over to this little story. I found this uh, coming out of a small town just outside of Boston as a Massachusetts middle school. Students tear down their rainbow decorations and chant their pronouns are USA during a pride celebration. 
Yeah, believe it or not, <laughs> Massachusetts middle school schoolers tore down pride decorations and chanted their pronouns for USA in a striking protest after they were asked to wear rainbow colors to the school. Nice. Students at Marshall Simmons Middle School in Burlington yeah. uh, were asked to wear rainbow colored shirts to celebrate Pride Month on June 2nd, but a, pl- a pre-planned protest broke out with the students tearing up pride flag stickers and chanting USA are my pronouns. They were decked out in red, white, and blue, and the students destroyed the decorations lining the hallway that the student organization put up, uh, saying the school was a safe place and equality for everyone in their decorations. Um, According to one of the students, uh, according to the mom, my daughter just said, you know, mom, that's offensive to me. I'm straight, said Christine Steiner. Some of the kids threw their stickers on the ground, but I can only speak for my daughter. She just didn't want to wear that to school. It's not that she didn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So somewhere, Rick, I think they got over the rainbow. (laughs) Literally. Literally. However, however, Burlington Public School said in a letter to parents that the district is obligated to provide a safe environment for all students, blah, 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 and that the Burlington uh, Public Schools believe in individual dignity and humanity of each and every person, unless, of course, they want to say that they're straight and they believe in the USA. So there you have it. The altercation sparked allies and parents to call for more diversity because that diversity just didn't seem to be enough. All right, as always, we salute our military, active and active police, firefighters, first responders, EMTs. Of course, we salute our flag on Flag Day. Well, we salute it every day, of course. Uh, thanks to guys on the show. Thanks, uh, Aaron. Thanks, Fran. Most of all, thank you, the live from Studio 6B audience. I'll be off tomorrow night for my daughter's birthday. Happy 14th birthday to Madison. And I will be off tomorrow night for that. The great David Zier will be sitting in with the guys. I'll see you on Friday. Have a great night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. The boys will see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. right here, live from Studio 6B.